0: The scripture this morning is Luke 17, 7 through 19. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were there not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is God's word.
1: Amen. Thank you, Vicky. So good morning. Uh, good to see you this morning. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving holiday with your family. My name is Drew Bennett. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Redeemer City Church. We continue in a series this morning uh, that we've done throughout this um, month of November, talking about generosity. And obviously with the holiday, uh, I wanted to include this text in uh, Luke 17. Uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh at me when I say this, but uh, this, this is my funeral sermon text. Uh, and I hope that's not morbid. I've told Jonathan this is, uh, or whoever preaches my my funeral, uh, this is this is the text that I want preached in my funeral. And uh, if I have a tomb, if I have a headstone on my grave, I hope that on the on the gravestone uh, that it'll it'll say he was an unworthy servant. He only did his duty. Cause that really is what I hope's written across my life. So I love this text. And so when I get to just pick. What I want to preach on, it's something that I come back to over and over again because it's something that I struggle with so badly in my life, this issue of gratitude that we see here. And so given this week was Thanksgiving, I want to talk about uh, just the, the, ad, the attitude of gratitude. Who said that earlier this morning? You heard that before. I want to talk about gratitude and what it means to live a grateful life. And so as we finish up these sermons on our Grace Abounding campaign and we send you off, as Terry said, to pray about what God would, would ask you to give to the effort that we're doing here together. I want your heart to be full of gratitude and love for what God has done for you in Jesus. That's my goal, because that's the proper motivation for everything that we do as a people of faith. In many ways, in many ways, listen, every struggle, and, and so, as, I mean, as we were praying just a minute ago and, and silently giving thanks to God, I, I know some of the things that are going on in some of your lives. I've heard the stories, and I know there's pain, and I know there's real deep sadness and some scary things, and it, it can be really hard. It can be really hard in the, in the midst of those kinds of circumstances in your life to maintain an, a, a habit of gratitude or just the feelings of gratitude. And so a lot of times we're fighting for gratitude. We're fighting against self-pity. We're fighting the battle to really live with gratitude. And this text really helps us with that. And so we want to look at it this morning because it's this well of gratitude in our souls that becomes uh, where we live our lives from as people of faith. And that's what you see here, okay? So we're going to look at four things, and they're just the four points of the, out, of, the, of the outline I've given you in your worship folder, if you see there. We want to talk about gratitude and how it's connected to grace, and also how it's connected to the habit of thanksgiving, and ultimately, how it's connected to um, the discipline of generosity. So gratitude, grace, thanksgiving, and generosity, or gratitude, what is it? Where does it come from? How do you get more of it? And what do you do with it when you feel it? In your life. Okay? Those four things. So let's walk through this together, if you would. First, let's just try to define what we mean and what the Bible means by this word gratitude. What, what is gratitude? Psalm 92, 1 says it is good to give thanks to the Lord. That word means it's, it's appropriate. It's right. It's the way we should live. Our hearts should be abounding with gratitude, We should be like the one leper in the story that we just read who returned to give thanks to Jesus and not the nine who just went on into their lives. That's the teaching this morning. And so let me to try to define gratitude this way to say that it is a feeling of wonder and delight. It is a feeling, a joyful recognition of that the world is full of good things that are not of our own doing. Let me say that again. On the one hand, it's a joyful recognition that the world is just abounding with good things, but also the realization that none of those good things come from us. They're all given to us. G.K. Chesterton was attributed with famously saying, the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels gratitude and realizes he has no one to thank. And so gratitude is the feeling of love for God because of his generosity to us, and then wanting, because we feel these things, wanting to praise him and give him thanks, not only for what he's done, but even for who he is. Just wanting to praise him and give him thanks and express everything we feel on the inside. So gratitude is a feeling that just is bubbling underneath the surface of your life and you can barely contain it. There's just this wonder and awe and delight in everything that God has done. Now I wanna show you a clip because this is, I I can't really illustrate this as well as this does. And I think uh, this, I saw this on many of your Facebook feeds uh, this week. So when I think of gratitude, this really is a picture of what I think uh, the scripture means. So run that for me.
0: (laughs) I'm alive! I'M ALIVE!
1: Yeah! yeah! Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, Christine! Hey. You're here, too! Yeah. I love you!
0: I know! Dad! What's happening?
1: Uh, honey, the power works! It's coming! It goes on and off! Whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's great! Look at that! Ooh. I bet I know what this does. Rain down the glorious
0: water. <laughs> Shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys?
1: Food. Mm. I love food. What? A, a You to have work? This is awesome. Come on, what's in here?
0: See? So what? Jack, be careful! I have a car! Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. A car! car. (laughs) car. (laughs) And don't forget your coffee. You're the best.
1: I just chuckled when I saw that. I don't know. I, I expected you to chuckle a little more than I heard you. Are you awake? Maybe, maybe I'm the silly one. It's kind of cheesy, isn't it? But that's kind of the point. That's why I fell in love with that is because it is kind of cheesy, but it's, it's, it feels cheesy because we're cynical. I really, do think, I really do think that that's the way we should approach every day, that that's gratitude. If our hearts were working right, I think we would wake up and say, I'm alive. And look over, right, at, our, at whoever's with us, wife and kids or whoever, and say, wow, you guys are here too, this is great, and flip the light switch on and off a few times. Uh, if our hearts were working right, I really think we would just be filled with wonder and delight and all of those things. Not because, listen, not because everything is a miracle. I mean, babies being born and painted skies at sunsets and indoor plumbing, those are not miracles, uh, the world is just naturally without miracle full of such wonderful things. That's how good God is. And then there's the miraculous stuff he does too. And so, so this is what we mean by gratitude. Now, the ten lepers being healed, but the one returning, unfortunately, is, is a picture of the human heart. It's why this, this I think, stories here in our, in our biblical texts, it, it shows us that we really do have a hard time with gratitude. So Charles Spurgeon said this, if you search the world around among all choice spices, you will scarcely meet with the frankincense of gratitude. Man, I wish people talked like he did still. He said, it ought to be as common as the dewdrops that hang upon the hedges in the morning, but alas, the world is dry of thankfulness to God. Jesus himself said this. He said, we're not 10 cleansed. <laughs> Where are the nine in other words, there is something really wrong with the way that the nine who did not return to give thanks responded. They only uh, that, that, that only one came back to say thank you shows us something about what is dysfunctional in the way that we relate to God. And it's something really wrong with us that we could go through every day turning lights on and off in our home and not constantly be amazed. I mean, Here's, here's how I would diagnose my own heart for you. I have 10,000 reasons today to be full of wonder and joy, and the one thing that isn't going exactly the way I want it to takes it all away. <clears throat> Tim Keller said sin is cosmic ingratitude. In other words, every other sin starts with a loss of wonder and joy and delight in what God has done. And so we need to be careful here. We need to fight for this. And so if you want to just kind of diagnose your own life, let me, ask, let me just put it to you this way at least. Uh, Spurgeon also said this. I read a, I read a really great um, sermon he, he, he gave on this text. And he said, most of us pray more than we praise. And that just kind of like cut right to my heart. Because I tend to get, when I, in my times of prayer, I tend to get it right to what I need God to do for me. Anybody else? You with me? I find it easiest to pray when I'm in trouble. I seldom, I had to confess this week that I seldom stop to pray just to praise. I have a hard time rushing past the adoration box and community Bible reading. I want to get right to the stuff I need God to do for me, right? Because that's the stuff that's on my heart so much. But gratitude, gratitude is a lingering An experience of lingering over the wonder of who God is and all the things that he's done and just wanting to say, I love you. I love you, thank you. You're so good. And lingering in those moments of praise. It's an expression of praise, not just for what God has done, but for who he is. Now, secondly, if that's what gratitude is and if that's what the text is pointing us towards and what we want to live with, then where does it come from? Or let's ask it this way. Why do we then have such a hard time with gratitude. And the answer is in the parable that Jesus gives just before the, the story of the 10 lepers. Luke groups this material together because uh, it's thematic and they explain one another. So if you want to look back, it may seem strange for Vicki to start reading up in verse 7. It's kind of abrupt to do it that way, but I wanted to keep it there. So if you look at what Jesus says, he says, will any of you, if you have a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he's coming from the field, so the servant's done with his daily tasks he comes in he says will any of you say come at once and recline at table you know come sit down let me in other words the master says come sit down let me serve you because you've been working so hard in the field Jesus says of course not will he rather not say to him prepare supper for me listen your work's not done I still need to eat so I know you've been working in the field all day long now you got to get busy making dinner for me prepare me supper and serve me while I eat and drink does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. Now the problem here is that you have a servant who thinks their work has earned them something with the master. That word unworthy in verse 10, if you, if you notice it there, unworthy servants, very specific. It doesn't mean a person who has done a bad job. It means a person who is doing his duty. And in doing his duty, he hasn't earned anything. And so it des- this describes a fundamental approach to God that says, you know, if I obey him, then he will reward me. If I, if I do everything he tells me to do, then he owes me. If, if I work hard, at the end of the day, I can sit down and, and he, you know, he'll give me the food that I need to eat. And I can demand uh, from him the life that I think I deserve. And really, this is just legalism wrapped up in pretty wrapping paper. And legalism says this, what matters is what I do. If I do bad, then I get punished, but of course if I do good, then, then there's a reward or a blessing around the corner. And the problem with, Jesus's, with the servants in Jesus' parable is that uh, he's warning about us having too high an opinion of our work. In other words, it is, it, the corruptness of our hearts can be such that instead of thanking God for who he is and for all that he has done, we can live before him as if he should be thanking us for who we are and all that we have done. We do this by demanding that our life go the way we want because we've put in the work. And what happens in the process is we lose our sense of wonder and joy and gratitude because then life is no longer a gift, it is a wage. Now this is really uh, entitlement. I know this is obviously a buzzword in our culture and we use the word negatively to refer to people who think they deserve something not because they've earned it but because they've been disenfranchised by society in some way and it really is a cancer. It's destroying people's lives but here's the problem. If people say, you don't deserve this, you've not put in the work, but I have. I've worked hard for everything that I've got, and so I deserve whatever success and benefit I have, that's just as dangerous. That's just as entitled. I mean, so both the right and the left have a problem with entitlement. Let's don't miss that. And it's not Christianity. In Christianity, what matters is not what you do. What, what matters is what God does. In Christianity, doing is deadly. You have to cast your deadly doing down. That is, you have to realize that the way to rightness with God is not through your doing, but through his doing. And so you lay your, doing, your deadly doing down because you realize that no doing could ever merit you anything with God. I mean, does God owe you because you've done what you've been commanded to, you, to do? Do you have such a high opinion of your work? I mean, who owes who when it comes to us and, and the Lord? What have you ever done that he did not require that, I mean, excuse me, what have you ever done that did not require that he first do something for you? What, did did your doing or his doing put breath in your lungs? Did your doing or his doing put in you in the first place Whatever education and resources you have to be successful, did your doing or his give you the kind of heart that can obey his commands? If you're obeying his commands, does that come from you or from him to begin with? See, we are unworthy servants. That's the teaching, verse 10. God God owes us nothing. And so the battle, a lot of times in our lives, the battle in our sanctification, he's growing us to be more and more like Jesus is a battle between... entitlement, which really mostly we see more, more than just entitlement, we see self-pity between just kind of sinking into self-pity or remaining in this, this place of wonder and joy and delight and gratitude for all that he's done. It's, it's every, in love, in love, every, you know, every act of love in marriage or friendship or whatever it might be is really a battle to not give in to self-pity and to stay in gratitude. And by self, self-pity is, is entitlement in the negative, it's feeling sorry for yourself because you're not getting what you deserve. It assumes you deserve good treatment from God or from others, and and so when you don't get it, then it brings a a victimhood mentality that kind of blankets your life. I'm misunderstood, I'm mistreated, I'm I'm overworked and underappreciated, and it includes all kinds of things, like complaining, which is demanding that God give us what we think we deserve, or in being demanding, which means having high expectations of other people, right? because we, we think we deserve that kind of treatment. It, it manifests itself in envy, which is not enjoying the life that we've been given, but wanting what somebody else has and thinking we're getting the short end of the stick and we actually deserve the life that they have and not them. Or a lack of generosity, which is treating God's gifts as if they're mine and not his. William Farley wrote, he says, self-pity is a vacuum into which gratitude cannot enter. It is self-worship. It demands center stage. It seeks to be worshiped and it dethrones God. Therefore, self-pity. And Thanksgiving cannot coexist. They are mutually exclusive. This is the thing that landed on me this week. This is what, this is, uh, what just framed my entire experience of Thanksgiving this year. When I, I hear people talk about we have so much to be thankful for, uh, and yet, I, yet they can't seem to find gratitude. And what just absolutely struck me is what makes you feel grateful is not the fact that you have a lot to be grateful for. What makes you feel grateful is knowing that whatever you have, you deserve it. You don't deserve it. That what unlocks gratitude in our hearts is not that we have so much. What unlocks gratitude is knowing that we deserve nothing. That's the key. Literally, gratitude is the same word as grace. There's no gratitude without grace. And grace means that whatever good there is in your life, it's because God is good, not because you're good. (laughs) Surely, this man would have known this. But on the other hand, uh, this man in our story that returned to Jesus here, on the other hand... Uh, what we see here, the reason, there's a reason why he's the one that comes back and the others don't. He's a leper, we're told, and in that culture, leprosy was much more than a disease, it was a social verdict. So these 10 lepers are presumably together because they've been ostracized from their families and from the community and they have no choice but to huddle to one another, but we're, there's a little detail added. In verse 16, we're told that he was a Samaritan. In verse 18, Jesus calls him a foreigner, an alien. He's an outsider, and so it's very clear there was no moral high ground for this man to stand on. He was completely undeserving of the miracle. And that's why he was so grateful, because of the ten, he was the one most sensitive to the fact that he did not deserve this kindness that Jesus gave to him. And that's, that's exactly the way it goes. You see, the gospel is the good news that God loves us not for our own sake, but for Jesus' sake. That even at our best, this is why I want this preached at my funeral, even at our best, we are unworthy servants. But there was one worthy servant whose work has earned for us every good thing that God gives. Our works don't get us anywhere with God because he is the king and we are the servants. And whether we offer to, whatever we offer to him is just our duty, you see, nothing more. We owe him so much more than we could ever offer, in fact. But what if, what if the king himself became a servant? Then the works that he would do would be something more than duty. We are sinfully, our servants acting like kings, but the gospel is the beauty of the king who became a servant. And that is the spring of every blessing we experience. Beauty, I use the word beauty there because it has to grip your heart. It has to be a wonder to you. We sing the song uh, that says, the line says, to see your, your worth and your unworthiness at the same time. See, the message of the gospel is that God does not answer your good works with blessing. He answers whatever good works you offer with a cross. The cross is that, you understand that, the cross is not just the answer to your sin, the cross is the answer to your good works too. Because no good is good enough except the good that Jesus has done for us, but from his goodness comes all of the good that we enjoy. And so whatever shape your life is taking, Do you know you're getting better than you deserve? If so, you'll be like this one man who came back and just fell at Jesus' feet. No matter how badly other people might treat you, you deserve far, far worse. And knowing that will allow you to continue to push into love with people that are hard to love. That's the message of the cross. And so, gratitude. Gratitude is the main motivation for a Christian's life because everything we've done, none of it was earned. None of it was earned. Listen. You can take your family, like Tony and Amber would have, uh, to the other into the other part of the world and live among people that you don't know in in poverty and need, and it will not merit you anything with God. Is all of life is grace? Well, then, third, how do you get more of it? Do you sense? Do you need? Are you like me? Can you shake your head at me a little bit? And let me know you're out there. Are You like me? Do you need more of this? Do you need more gratitude and less? of the other, yucky stuff, great. Well, then you gotta do what the leper did. That, that's the lesson. The other nine took the gift and got busy living their new lives. The one turned back, praised God, and fell, at his face, fell on his face at Jesus' feet, verse 15 and 16, giving thanks to him. So the more you get more gratitude through the practice and the discipline of thanksgiving. Let's make a distinction here. Gratitude is what you feel. Thanksgiving is what you do. Gratitude is the feeling inside. Thanksgiving is what you do with what you feel inside. Give thanks, Psalm 104, is, isn't a description of how you feel. It is, an, it is a call to action. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know that verse in Philippians? Paul's not telling us how we should feel, he's telling us what we should do when we don't feel what we should feel. He's showing us how to stir up the feelings of gratitude in our hearts. Through the habit of giving thanks. Now, this has really changed my life, i got to tell you. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, because I, I, some of you don't know me, I, I can be a little melancholy and grumpy, okay? So I, this has really, really changed my life. I'm serious when I say this. But he says, this is Lloyd-Jones, he says, To rejoice is a command, yes, but there's all the difference in the world between rejoicing and being happy. Listen, he said, you cannot make yourself happy, but you can make yourself rejoice. According to Lloyd-Jones, if you don't feel what you should feel, you have to take yourself in hand and you have to make yourself do what you don't feel like doing until through the habit of doing it, you begin to feel like doing it. I got to say that again. Okay. You got to take yourself in hand and make yourself do what you don't feel like doing until through the habit of doing it, you begin to feel like doing it. This is the day the Lord has made, right? Right? Let us rejoice. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The psalmist is not saying, I feel so happy about today. It's going to be a great day. No, he's talking to his heart. He probably woke up grumpy like I do most mornings. And so he starts the day at the very beginning by talking to his heart instead of listening to his heart and reminding himself of the truth that every morning we enter into a day of God's making. And he is a father and faithful shepherd to his people. And so everything that happens is cause for rejoicing. The psalmist is taking a moment at the beginning of his day, to prepare his heart to respond to whatever happens with rejoicing. He's activating his faith. He's rehearsing ahead of time. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. Do you know what I mean? If you wait until the clouds roll in and then try to convince yourself of that, guess what? It's too late, right? You got to start. You got to know, hey, if the cloud there's some clouds over there, and they may come upon me today, but i got to know, even if those clouds come, the thing I know more than anything else is they're going to break with mercies. And i got to get ready ahead of time for that. And so this is, what, this is what the habit of Thanksgiving does. It's a habit. It's something you do to create the feeling of gratitude in your heart. In 2003, Robert Emmons and Michael McCullough did a study on gratitude. It was this groundbreaking scientific study. They randomly assigned students to one of three groups, and the first group was told to keep a gratitude journal. The second group was just to make a list of the hassles and the disappointments that they faced during the week. The third group was told just to journal about the events. Just So basic, just raw data, this is what happened on this day and when and all this. So each of these groups did this for 10 weeks and at the end of the 10 weeks, the second and the third groups really looked similar, but the group, the first group, the gratitude group, the one that was assigned a gratitude journal that was told Every time you think of something that's really good in your life, write it down. Every time you think of a reason that you have to give thanks or to uh, something, something amazing that happened, write it down. That group, at the end of 10 weeks of a daily habit of journaling through all of the things uh, that they saw that were good in their lives, they exhibited increased levels of personal happiness and contentment. They slept better. They exercised more, literally. I mean, they exercised more. They visited the doctor less often than the other two groups did, and the conclusion that these scientists came to is that the practice of giving thanks is good for your health. But this idea of giving thanks is good for your spiritual health as well because it actually can begin to change the way you think and feel about your life. And so we need this practice of the habit of thanksgiving. It's a spiritual discipline like Israel's feast. Do You do know that our spiritual legacy as people connected to the people of Israel in the Old Testament is is that three times a year, the Lord told them, stop everything you're doing and for a week, just party. Rick likes that. Rick's face like, "Mm -hmm, uh mm-hmm, uh-huh. That's why I'm here, I like that. Think about that. Think about that. Where is that? We've lost that. This idea of, you know what, I'm gonna stop everything and I'm just gonna turn my attention to the Lord and think of all the ways that he's been good to me. Now, some practical advice from the one leper that returned on how to do this. First, you have to turn back. Do you see that? There has to be intentionality. Verse 15, like this man, you have to stop what you're doing and set aside time. You have to interrupt your life. So the feast for Israel, they literally stopped. It was a Sabbath. Everybody just shut down. Work stopped. There was prep time involved. Uh, In other words, this doesn't just happen. You have to have some kind of method. You have to have a method. Secondly... You have to be loud, this is my favorite part. The man praised Jesus, verse 15, in a loud voice. And I just wanna say, praise should be loud, amen? It should be loud. If you feel something and it comes out, it should be loud. And so you have to rouse yourself. I'm all about reverence and quiet, but sometimes you have to be loud. Let's be a little more loud, can we be a little more loud? By the way, you guys, sing, you guys are smaller in number. You sing better than the second service. So Jesus points, pat yourself on the back. So it is possible for fewer people to be louder than more people. But it's an indication that something's really happening in your heart. But thirdly, you have to fall down. You see that? He falls down in humility at, on his face at Jesus' feet. So the, the whole point here is to put yourself in the presence of God. So the goal is to stop thinking about yourself and instead to focus on who God is and what he's doing in your life. So you look for his hand in your circumstances, in your rightness, I mean, do a gratitude journal. But here's my question. What is your habit of, of Thanksgiving? You've got to have a habit. You've got to have a method. Because that's the way you begin to feel gratitude in your heart. But lastly, there's one more thing I want to do. I want to connect gratitude to generosity at the very end here because that's the theme of this Grace Abounding campaign. Gratitude unlocks generosity, not just with money, with your heart, with your love, with, uh, with your time with all the different parts of your life, not being generous shows a lack of gratitude. So there's a connection. And there's a scene uh, that I thought of this week in 2 Samuel 24, And David, the life of King David towards the end of his life, David sinned against God and a plague broke out against the people, but God had mercy. And uh, David was so overwhelmed by God's mercy that he turned back like the leper in our story. And he wanted to praise God by making a sacrifice Uh, To the Lord. And so the Lord told him the place. He came to where the place was, and the man who owned the place offered to give it to David. He said, Look, you're the king and you're doing a noble thing here. So here just take take this threshing floor. I'll give it to you as a gift. And David said, No, 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 that will not do. I listen to this, he says, No, but I will buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. And there's an intuition here in David, I think, that's right. His heart was so full of joy and wonder and praise at God's mercy that he wanted to do something to show God just how grateful he was and he knew it had to be costly because his willingness to pay the cost proved the genuineness of his gratitude that he felt. And this, I think, is what Paul means when he says to the Corinthians where we started a month ago, I want you to give, but not because I'm commanding you. I want you to give to prove that your love is genuine. We give... Of the things we cherish to prove to him that we cherish him more. One other story from the New Testament Jesus told a parable about a man who found a treasure hidden in a field in Matthew 13. It was such a joy that he went away and he sold all that he had to buy the field. And Jesus said, That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like finding that treasure. That's the way you take hold of the gospel. Find the treasure of the gospel. What's the treasure of the gospel? That everything is grace, that I do nothing and I get everything. Right? I do nothing and I get everything. The person who has found that treasure goes away and will sell whatever it takes to have it. And so the movement of the gospel is I do nothing, I get everything, now I'll give him anything. You measure the worth of a treasure by what you're willing to give up in order to gain it. So I would ask you, are you awestruck by the treasure of the gospel? Is your heart full of wonder and joy and gratitude? Your generosity is the proof. So give, not just to this campaign, but just in general. Give with such joy and such, to such a degree that you put on display for all to see that Jesus is better than riches. I mean, Our main goal with this campaign is the glory of God and, and the way you glorify God. It's to show his surpassing worth by giving up whatever you must to gain more of him because that's what this is is all about. More of him, not buildings. Not more of him, not this church, more of him. Generosity is the measure of your gratitude because when you're generous, you're saying, I don't have to worry about there being enough for me because his heart is so great to me. That's gratitude. That's a way of glorifying him. And don't we want to do that? Let's be generous. Amen? Pray with me. So, Father, now in these moments we have here at the end of the service, put upon our lips the reality of what you're doing in our hearts. May we sing now, not just from our lips, so that our hearts remain far from you, but, but, but may this last moment we have in our service as we respond, the response to what we've seen this morning is to fall on our face before you and to offer the praise of gratitude. And so what, what an opportunity here for us to sing this song at the end. Would you would you uh, give us a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise? So that you might be pleased and might inhabit these, these words and this music that we give to you now. Uh, so that our hearts might run away from uh, self-pity and envy and entitlement and towards... Uh, gratitude and joy and wonder at you, that you might be glorified in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If he is truly your greatest treasure, uh, then unlike any other treasure that you, you think, I, I have to have uh, you know, more and more and more with him, you have all of him. Uh, you can't get any more of him than you already have. You can get a greater experience of him, but the only way to do that is to give everything else away. <laughs> And so he sends us, he says, if if I'm your greatest treasure, uh, then the way that you love me and the way that you do the things we've been talking about is to to be be generous with everything I've given you because that's what gives him great joy. And so he sends us on this mission of generosity, but he sends us promising uh, not that we will ever give away so much that there won't be any left, but whatever we give to continue to fill us with more and more and more that we might abound in every way and be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. That's what these words mean, so receive them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.